There's a nearly endless list of state and local matters that will be decided on August 7th. But one thing towers above everything else on the primary ballot, right to work in Missouri. The 2017 law bars unions and employers from requiring workers to pay dues as a condition of employment. Labor unions gathered more than enough signatures to put that matter up for a public referendum. Supporters of the policy believe it will bring economic development and prosperity to Missouri. And that's why it's strongly supported by business groups and Republican politicians like Senate President Pro Tem Ron Richard. If you're not a right-to-work state, they won't consider you to come to Missouri. Labor leaders like Richard Trumka of the AFL-CIO take a different view. This fight's extremely important because it's saying to the rest of the world, do we want to pass another law that lowers wages, that increases poverty, and hurts the women's pay gap. On this edition of Politically Speaking, we break down the policy and political dynamics of this important ballot initiative. We also take a look at the other contest on the statewide ballot, the GOP primary for state auditor. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter for St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Colleague Joe Manis. And I'm sure that there were lots of bits of information that happened in the U.S. Senate race and races for state representative and county executive um, that we could go into super specific detail on. But we're not. But we're not going to do that today because... One of the reasons we're doing these Friday podcasts is to give more depth and analysis to the races that are going to be decided by you, the Missouri voter. On the And in this case, we're focusing primarily on the stuff that's going to be in the August 7th ballot. And the two races we're going to talk about today are the two statewide races that are going to be up for grabs besides the U.S. Senate. And that is the battle to either retain or repeal right to work and the Republican primary for auditor. So we're kind of having a theme this week. It's just statewide stuff, so to speak. Let's talk about right to work, which is shorthand that proponents use to describe a policy that bars unions and employers from requiring workers to pay dues as a condition of employment. And the, the context of this is after now former Governor Eric Greitens was elected, the legislature very quickly passed this policy that Republicans had wanted and business groups had wanted for years. Um, I think that, and just this, this is more of an observation than an opinion, but I think passing it early was a strategic mistake because it provided primarily labor unions with plenty of time to round up the necessary signatures to prevent this law from going into effect and then basically... To mandate a referendum this year. That's what's happened because they turned in their signatures last summer. Uh, now they're, now they, there is the referendum this year. The labor had hoped to have it in November, but the General Assembly has the power and they used it to move it to August. But so right to work right now is, I believe, the marquee issue in the state on August 7th. Um, I mean, locally, you've got uh, county executive, the Democratic primary, and then you've got the um, auditor Republican contest that we're going to mention. But really, the marquee thing uh, for August 7th is going to be the right to work vote. Before we get into the dynamics of this, I do want to provide both the pro and con side. 
So we talked with Representative Holly Rader, a Republican from Sykeston, last year, and she was the House handler of Right to Work and had been pushing it, I think, for for years, along with many other Republicans. And and the obvious question we always ask when we we interview a Right to Work proponent is, why do you think it's a good idea and what would it do for Missouri's economy? This is some of what she had to say back in 2017. Right to Work is not a, a deal maker but it's definitely a deal breaker. And, um, you know, we don't even get looked at. And so Right to Work was very important to me as far as jobs. Our, our factories were closing. Um, Charleston is in my is in my district, and yeah. I went to school there um, for a little while as well. And my goodness, I mean, you know, we need something. I think the, the subtext of her comments and maybe what other Republicans that support Right to Work would say is – that if you have labor unions that are very powerful and that may demand concessions from employers, the major employers are going to be more hesitant to move to that area than, say, if you don't have labor unions who are flush with cash and power in right-to-work states. Because it's not the case with every right-to-work state, because Nevada has been Still, yeah, still, but, yeah, but Nevada is an exception. It's an exception. But many states that have adopted right to work have seen union membership and union power decline. Is Wisconsin, that fair to say? Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, yes. So, I mean, what do you make of that argument? Because I think that's going to be the, the proponency that right to work equals more economic development, especially in rural parts of the state. Well, that's the message they've been giving for a couple of years. I mean, they're, they're saying that businesses won't even look at the state unless the state's a right-to-work state. Now, um, the the counterpart, uh, as far as the labor unions are concerned, is that, well, what jobs you get pay a lot less, and that they claim that it's really right-to-work for less, and they point to a number of states that have adopted right-to-work where the average wage is, is lower. And, I mean, there's been some haggling over what statistics actually show, but bottom line is that's the message. And that's the message that Richard Trumka, who I think is the president— President of the National AFL-CIO. That was the message that uh, he conveyed to you while I was on paternity leave. Prop A is an attempt by corporations to lower wages, create more poverty, increase the wage wage gap with women, and it basically— take away the power or lessen the power of working people in every facet of their lives. It's their attempt to have the playing field for their entire selves. It's not going to work. We're not going to let them lower wages. We're not going to let them create more poverty. We're not going to let them increase the wage gap uh, with women. We're going to reduce that gap. This is kind of a linguistic thing that I noticed in that clip. The unions were responsible for getting this referendum on the ballot, which is known as Proposition A. But they are telling people to vote against it because voting against Prop A means that right to work is repealed. It, yes. it, it's, it's, I think it's, this was actually an issue when this went to court, and it, it, it provided a strange situation where Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft, who is a right to work supporter for all intents and purposes, was basically on the same side as the labor unions, which was not really expected among a lot of political observers. Do you think that the way this is this entire initiative is structured is clear enough for people to understand, or do you think it's a bit confusing the way it's laid out? Well, I think you know, the argument in the court case, which is made, most of it was last year, was uh, whether or not to um, 
require voters to make Prop A, um, you know, we want to repeal this, so therefore you have to vote yes, or uh, or do it the way they're doing it, which is, uh, do we want Missouri to be a right-to-work state? People say no. I mean, this is this is the argument. So the, the judge ruled in favor of uh, Ashcroft and the unions who claimed that since the law has been passed, that they had to make it, if it's a referendum on the law, you have to say, do you want this law or not? Right. That, 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 so the phrasing is actually, in effect, mandated by the courts. So for, for people that are looking at this and wondering which way you need to vote, if you want to keep right to work in place, vote yes. If you don't want to keep right to work in place, vote no. That's kind of our public service announcement for the day. One thing that I asked some lawmakers who were heavily invested and experienced in the labor union was whether this initiative was, for all intents and purposes, a do-over. Because it was no secret that Greitens was in favor of right to work. There's anecdotal evidence that a lot of union members voted for him anyways. Not not 50, over 50 percent. Well, it wasn't because of right to work. It's because they saw him on TV shooting up but stuff with I, his I, automatic I, I, I've heard percentages upwards of 30 or 40 percent. Yes. And it's hard for me to think of another parallel where somebody says, I'm going to do something that may affect your livelihood in a negative way, and those people vote for him anyways. Um, I asked State Representative Doug Beck, a Democrat from Afton, about whether this was a do-over for that missed opportunity, and he said this. It's not a referendum. It was not a one-issue election. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, uh, you guys voted. You know, did you vote on the one issue? Was it all because it was right to work? You know, you know what I mean? So I, uh, there was all kinds of issues out there that people voted on and, and whether, whatever they were. Uh, but, but right to work was not the main issue. Majority of people don't even know what right to work is. Well, we explained what right to work is right. at the outset. But, you know, I've seen a lot of newspaper articles featuring people that voted for Donald Trump, and they're just shocked about, like, oh, this happened under Trump. And those people are ridiculed as rubes by many people. Do you think that union members that voted for Greitens, even though he was outwardly saying he was going to pass policies that would hurt unions, deserve a similar treatment? Well, I don't think they knew. I mean, okay, A, Greitens was a front that he was in favor of right to work. But it wasn't like he was on the stump starting his speeches with it. Second, there were really, really no serious debates between him and Democrat the gubernatorial nominee Chris Coster. They did one debate um, in southwest Missouri, but it wasn't generally televised. You'd look at it on the Internet. Um, there weren't any after that. I personally think that uh, and the main reason was because Coster was refusing to debate Greitens unless Greitens released his tax returns, which Coster had done. I think that ended up being a strategic um, uh, misstep by Coster because then he couldn't highlight differences such as this one, which was a key one because of the very thing you just said, Jason, you had 30 to 40 percent of uh, labor uh, rank and file voting for Republicans. And I personally think in the case of Trump, the percentage was probably higher. It was probably close to 50, at least in in Missouri. I mean, because 30 to 40 is kind of the general rule of thumb anymore for the rank of file voting for Republicans. So I think it was even higher for Trump. They'll never know for sure. We don't know for sure. But 
In any case, that's a bit retrospective. When we're looking at this particular campaign and you look at the campaign finance for the pro right to work side, I think there is some activity, um, but not nearly as much money that's going into the anti right to work side. There is an unprecedented amount of money, maybe not unprecedented. I mean, the stem cell thing in 2006 had $28 million by one person, but a lot of money is going into defeat right to work. In yeah. Missouri. I mean, in the stem cell debate, which is in 2006, I mean, there was all the big money in favor of uh, protecting stem cell research. But on the other side, you had a very passionate grassroots effort at Catholic Church and others who were very behind trying to block um, the amendment. Now, in this case, so far on the surface, you're not seeing hardly any campaign at all in favor of Prop A. Now, that may change because we're, what, July 11th. We're less than a month out. But often in these things, they wait till the last two or three weeks. So that could change. But I have a theory. I'm going to just spout it out now. <coughs> My theory is that for various strategic reasons, the right-to-work supporters as a block, that many of them aren't going to do that much. They're going to let labor spend all that money uh, in order and have all this, do this big get-out-the-vote effort to uh, knock out the initiative, I mean, knock out right-to-work, um, vote against Prop A, knock out right-to-work, the business people will come back early next year. They'll get the General Assembly to pass it again. And they're also, I think, uh, assuming that if labor spends all this money, that then there will be less money in November to help uh, U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill and other Democrats that labor is supporting. That's, that's a very good theory, Joe. And it's actually something that I, I posed to Mark Dalton, who's with the Carpenters Union. He's, I think, the political director back in March. And he had this observation. It was kind of a hypothetical about, like, what do you think then Lieutenant Governor Parson, how do you think his posture would be toward organized labor? And he had this to say. I think if Greitens is in there next year, he will still push for right to work, even if uh, it's defeated on the ballot this year. I think Parson may be more level-headed, saying the people spoke, so let's deal with other issues. So um, I don't think having a, a governor with all these issues in there is beneficial for labor. Obviously, a lot will depend on what the percentage is. But let's say right to work is voted down by a 70-30 margin, which I, I'm not saying is going to happen. But given the amount of money that's on the anti side versus the pro side now, not out of the question. Do you think that might give Governor Parson a bit of pause before trying to put right to work back in place, especially when the legislature passed other union restrictions this year that are not on the ballot, like uh, restricting automatic deduction of union dues for, for public unions and also uh, winnowing down the prevailing wage. Yeah, frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if if the vote is pretty heavy, uh, knocking out uh, the right to work law. I could see Parson strategically figuring he, he, he's just going to let it sit for a year, come back in 2020 which will be an election year um, if, let's say, Trump's popularity is back on the rise, they figure they can get this through and that labor won't have the money or the wherewithal or the support to put something together in time for the 2020 election. So I could see, I could very well see um, Parson, who's a smart man, figuring something like that out, thinking, oh, I'll just let it lie. Now, um, 
the main thing Republicans wanted to do was to keep this off the November ballot because and I think and they did because their thought was that if you get all the labor unions to turn out in August, maybe their members won't be quite so fired up in November. Now, labor claims they will be. You have others that say, no, it'll be a one-time deal and that the Republican um, strategy will work. We'll see. We'll see when we talk about this uh, the day after the November election. We, we, we shall see. But I want to talk about another thing that's going to be on the statewide ballot, which I talked about at the beginning of the show, which is the Republican primary for state auditor. The, the backdrop of this is, even just saying this, is still a bit sad. Um, Tom Schweik was elected to a second term without Democratic opposition in 2014. He committed suicide in February 2015. And former Governor Jay Nixon appointed Democrat Nicole Galloway to fill out the rest of his term. And it's a situation where Nick Galloway has basically served a full term as auditor. Well, except for like, like two months. With, I mean, yes. Without having to be elected for it. And it's interesting. And I was away when all the lieutenant governor stuff got done. But I found it kind of odd from a philosophical level that there were people arguing for a special election for lieutenant governor which I understand why they were doing that because the, the legal stuff on that was unclear. Yet they they were fine with having somebody stay auditor for a ye- for four years. Well, I, I understand it's politics, but, but log- logically no, that makes no sense. No, no, no. It wasn't politics. It's because the state law is very clear saying the governor can fill these other posts. I it's agree. just the state law is not clear on lieutenant governor. And if you may recall... There was a lot of Republican rumblings at the time, and they claimed that they were going to uh, make a law change in the General Assembly or put something on the ballot to require special elections for these other posts. Which they didn't do. Which they didn't do. I mean, this this reminds me of the longstanding effort by some Democrats, including the former governor, to claim they were going to put some sort of campaign finance limits back on the ballot. But I'm, 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 and, and it never happened. But I'm, but I'm guessing Republicans are glad they didn't do that because they were able to put Kehoe in place. And there was actually a court hearing uh, when we're recording this that upheld it. But that's exactly. a show for another day. Exactly. But my point is, I mentioned that not to only make a, po- uh, a, a kind of philosophical point, but also to raise the point that Nicole Galloway has never actually faced an opponent in her entire political career. She was appointed Boone County Treasurer and won an election without any opposition and has basically served a full term as auditor um, without any opposition either. When I caught up with her at Hannibal Days earlier this year, I kind of asked her about not only running for the first time, but also running as a Democrat when all these other all these other statewide offices are Republican and maybe having a Democrat in the auditor position provides a check to that GOP dominance. I do believe that taxpayers want an independent watchdog um, that is not beholden to establishment in Jefferson City. And I have proven uh, from my the, the minute I stepped into that office, I don't care what party you are, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I am going to audit, right? That is my job. And citizens want that type of independent watchdog that stands on their side. Um, You know, I audit Democrats and Republicans alike. I am tough, I am thorough, and I am fair. I I say without much hyperbole, 
that getting Galloway across the finish line in some ways is more important than McCaskill winning. And people may say, whoa, that's crazy, Jason. McCaskill's race is the most incredible race ever. Well, you know, the Democrats need a gubernatorial candidate in 2020. And Galloway seems like a natural one, given that she can run for governor without having to give up her statewide office, and there are no other statewide Democrats. Now, obviously, that's speculative, but what do you think is at stake in in this particular race? Because I, I actually think the stakes in this race are a lot higher than the attention it's going to get. Well, I mean, I would argue that there's no question that the Senate race is the uh, is the biggest issue on the on on the ballot, especially in November, because it's going to it may very well determine which party controls the U.S. Senate. That said, looking back at Missouri, I think that the auditor's contest is crucial for either party. Republicans want to seal the deal and control all the statewide offices in the state capitol. The Democrats are hoping to th- that uh, to make uh, the state auditor kind of their beachhead to kind of uh, gradually grab back some power. Um, Galloway may or may not run in 2020. There may be some other people, including, you know, Jason Kander, who's now going to run for Kansas City mayor. Who knows? Um, there's there's various other people who might be in the wings. But I think it was particularly interesting. I covered uh, the state Democratic Party's Truman Dinner a couple weeks ago, and she gave by far the most aggressive speech I've ever heard Galloway give. She came right out and accused Greitens of being a crook, uh, blasted the Republicans claiming that they were just putting a blind eye to all the um, swamp swamp stuff that she contended swamp was going su- on. I, I like that swamp <laughs> she, stuff. That that's my phrase, not hers. <laughs> she was a little more uh, coherent. But my point is, I had never heard her be that aggressive in a speech, and so she's obviously training. I mean, because part of campaigning is to be really aggressive on the stump. And I thought that was by far the strongest appearance that she'd given so far, regardless of which side you're on. We'll talk more about Galloway in the coming weeks and months, but I do want to talk about the four candidates that are running for auditor. They are David Wassinger, Paul Kurtman, Kevin Roach, and Sandra McDowell. Now, if you look at the fundraising, the two candidates that have raised the most money are put in the most of their own money are Kurtman and Wassinger. Um, And we'll get to the other two candidates later in the show. But I want to talk about Wassinger first, a really fascinating candidate for a lot of reasons. First of all, I've known uh, his wife, Colleen Wassinger, for many years because she served on the St. Louis County Council. And is still on, although she's retiring at the end of this year. And I don't just say this because I – I say this for because I mean it. She is probably one of the the sharpest and most respected people on that council. Yes, and I no think, question. And I think she was genuinely respected by all sides of that very fractious body. Um, but David Wassinger has not been out of the public eye. He was a member of the University of Missouri System Board of Curators uh, back in the 2000s. He was appointed as a Democrat, which... I think people uh, eyebrows raised up, yes. especially after they saw Colleen uh, Wassinger file as a Republican. There was some accusations that Blunt, Matt Blunt, the governor at the time, was really appointing a Republican to a Democratic slot. And I 
I think that's kind of manifested itself yes. here because he's <laughs> running as a Republican. You've known David Wassinger longer than I have. I've actually never spoken or met spoken to him or met him before. What what do you what are your observations about him? Well, he has been wanting to run for something for a while. Um, he has not run for public office before. He had been looking at possibly running for a lieutenant governor a few years back. Um, he he um, is uh, very aggressive. I mean that in a political sense. So they and um, he has been really making the rounds at the Republican events. He was very active at Lincoln Days last uh, February, which is one. And um, I believe he, he is actually a CPA, right? Yes, yes, he's a CPA. So he can kind of uh, go toe to toe with Galloway as far as the uh, CPA qualifications, which used to be unofficially mandated. I mean, it was just a given. It changed after a few lawyers, including Claire McCaskill, won the job. And Tom Schweig. Yes, but that said. But then there are situations like Susan Monte and Wassinger, who they were attorneys, but they also had CPA. Yes. And now David Wassinger also has put in a significant amount of his own money, or rather his family money, into the contest. He has raised by far more money than any of the other candidates, including um, State Rep. Paul Kurtman. But I, I do want to play a clip from an interview you had with him when he filed about things that he would do differently as auditor than the current one. We want to, uh, again, restore some trust and <clears throat> accountability in state government. We want to look at the uh, city of St. Louis. We think a Republican would be better served to perform an audit in the city of St. Louis. We think there needs to be more transparency and perhaps a uh, review of all the sunshine law requirements in the state of Missouri and uh, look at fraud, waste, and corruption in the uh, in the state of Missouri. So before we get back to Wasinger, I do want to talk about Kurtman for a second, yes. who is a Republican state representative from the Franklin County area. And his entry into Missouri politics, we've talked about it before because we've had him on the show twice, is really fascinating. He ran against Michael Frame in 2010, and Frame is probably one of the better campaigners in the St. Louis area, one in that Republican Tea Party wave year. Yeah, even though Frame's a Democrat. Frame's, yep. frames a Democrat, and Frame eventually was elected back to the Missouri House in another district and then lost. And he has kind of had a reputation in the past eight years for several things. One, he's cultivated a very loyal grassroots following among a lot of different segments of the Republican Party. Especially the social conservatives. Social conservatives as well as libertarian-minded conservatives who support, like, Rand Paul or Ron Paul. Yes. Um, he also chaired a committee that really looked into government efficiency, which is probably what he's going to talk a lot about on the stump because he's not an attorney, and I don't believe he is a he, CPA no, either. No, he's not a CPA either. And one of the other things that he mentioned in this rally that I think he, he had when he filed is he really wants to follow through on a lot of the audits the thing about being state auditor is they, they provide a lot of recommendations for cities or counties or government agencies, but it's really up to those agencies to change. This is what he had to say about that part. You have to have somebody there who understands that the whole purpose of government, according to our Declaration of Independence, is just to help keep people free. 
and that means helping them keep their economic freedom as well. So folks, I'm running for state auditor because I've already been doing a lot of the work. I just want to go do it now with the authority of the auditor's office and make sure that when we have problems that we find from one audit to the next, that they actually stop. It's about time for some of these shenanigans to stop. The interesting thing is I think Kurtman has a lot of endorsements, but he hasn't really been able to raise the amount of money that's required for a statewide race, especially compared to Wassinger. Um, but again, he has this really devoted grassroots follow yes. following that could help in a low-key race like this. Is the financial advantage going to be difficult for him to overcome, especially if Wassinger is the only candidate running TV ads in the primary? Well, that's if, if, if Wassinger runs TV ads in the primary. I think the issue is going to be as Wassinger tries to sit on as much of his money as he can banking on if he runs a few TV ads that it would be enough to propel him against Kurtman and the others but still put him in a decent financial situation to take on Galloway. Or does, I mean, the campaign finance reports, which will be coming out Monday, will I think show the conclusive picture of whether or not Kurtman's been able to collect enough money to do um, a final blitz in the last couple of weeks, which is not unusual for some of these down ballot races, or if um, Wassinger ends up having the airways to himself. The other two candidates are Sandra McDowell, who is from Springfield, Missouri. She took part in a f candidate forum at in St. in St. Louis County earlier this week. This is kind of what she had to say about her qualifications and about what she would change in the auditor's office. What I plan to have my auditors and investigators do is take these audits as if we were going to litigation. So we're going to make sure that everything that we, that we bring in during an auditor investigation is ironclad, that it's going to get past any kind of hearsay objections, any kind of relevance objections, anything, any foundation issues. Things that you look for when you're an attorney and you're going to take a case um, that possibly could go to litigation because we might find fraud. We might find some wrongdoing there. The other candidate is St. Louis County native Kevin Roach. He had this to say about what he would bring to the auditor's office if he were elected. One thing to change is that the state auditor's office is required by law to be audited itself every two years. It hasn't happened in three. So the, one of the first things I'm going to do is bring in an independent, a tough, independent auditor to go through that office because you've got 115 people working there spending eight million dollars a year so uh, and they're producing less than 100 audits per year so we've got a hard question to a answer which is what is going on in that office i think that when you whoever wins this republican primary runs against galloway the consensus is that however claire mccaskill does in her race is going to have a massive impact on how Galloway fares. In, in 2006, for example, when McCaskill won, Susan Monte won her race pretty solidly. It was also a terrible Republican year. 2010, when Roy Blunt beat Robin Carnahan by a lot, Susan Monte actually- For the, for, for the U.S. Senate. Uh, Susan Monte actually lost re-election to Tom Schweig. Right. So there is that precedent. Um, do you foresee a scenario where Claire McCaskill wins and Nicole Galloway loses or McCaskill loses and Nicole Galloway wins? Or is it going to be one or the other? I'm assuming it's going to be one or the other. Either they both lose or they both win. But it would depend. Let's say McCaskill has a really, I mean, we're just tactically here. 
Suppose it's a narrow win or a narrow loss in the Senate race. It's possible, depending on how much attention and how much uh, TV ads and all the other stuff that have been played on the auditor's race, it's possible for there for for it to be a different party winning and losing. But I think it's not probable. I think it's probable that uh, McCaskill and Galloway's fortunes will be linked. That's it for this week's show. Uh, for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. We're going to have longer pieces and radio stories on Right to Work and the auditor's primary in the coming weeks and months. But we wanted to lay those races out with a bit more detail this week. Next week, we'll talk about the, the week's news as well as deal with some of the other races that are going to be on the ballot. Jay Rosenbaum is where you can find me on Twitter. You can find Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. Until next week, so long.